turn to Exodus 40. That's where we'll be this evening. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll start. Lord, we come to you now, and I am thankful for the time that you have given us in Exodus. I pray that tonight, as we finish our study, that we would do so well. Um, we are thankful that uh, you give us the Holy Spirit, that when we read the Bible, we would have uh, understanding at all. Uh, Lord, we know without you, without the work of the Spirit, we come here and we hear some things, but we leave unchanged. And so uh, we, we have trusted you through this whole study, and we continue to trust you tonight, that you would guide us according to your will, that you would show us uh, what you desire uh, from us, and that we can learn from our forefathers in the faith and, and see the story that is the story of a people that, that we climb into week in and week out. Lord, we also pray uh, just in this time of year that we would be mindful of Christ, that we would... Um, guard our hearts and guard our minds, not being conformed to the world, but, but truly being transformed by the renewal of our mind. So because of that, I pray for renewal um, tonight. As, as our minds engage your words and your will and your truth, um, I pray that you conform us to the image of Christ, and, uh, that we would go and live lives for your glory and not for our, our own hopes, our own accolades, our own desires, our own, our own plans but that we would submit to you and, and humble ourselves before you as your servants, as your children, as your ambassadors. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. March 23rd, 2011 is when we started uh, the Exodus study. So we've been in Exodus for just over 21 months at this point. And it's been sweet. I've really enjoyed uh, the study together. Um, before we dive into the last chapter, I, I kind of just wanted to start tonight by taking a few minutes um, for us to recount some highlights, um, to just hear from each other some of the notable truths that God has blessed us with in the text um, that have helped us or encouraged us or edified us or patterns that we've seen or truths that, um, that he's revealed about himself, uh, things we've learned about ourselves. So just kind of want to take a few minutes to open it up and Y'all share any, anything that um, over the last 21 months that, that uh, you may have remembered? Yeah. And, and 
Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, back in 2003 when we were planning our Bible studies for this church plant, that we tried to really orchestrate that. And, you know, if we could hit Exodus 40 when we get to Hebrews 3, that'd be... Anything else? been really encouraged at how um, just how compassionate and patient God is. Um, just as a man who's short-tempered, I, I have trouble with compassion sometimes, and the study through Exodus has been uh, very challenging in just seeing God is so incredibly compassionate. I mean, he, he, he doesn't just know what's going on. I mean, he is so intimately involved in the, in the, the shortcomings of his people and again and again, um, you see him reaching out to him, and he renews his covenant even after they act like hoodlums at the base of Mount Sinai. And so um, I've been really encouraged by that uh, personally. Um, so to jump back in, to, to do a little recapping, uh, what does abundant provision still require? Obedience. What else? A lot of what? Change, what else? But hard work. There you go. There you go. We're. It is the last study. You know, it's going to take a little, little traction there. Um, yeah, abundant provision. We some of us uh, can slip into that thinking that if I only had more, I, I could do less. And we find that with the tabernacle, I mean, they they left Egypt. They plundered them ver- verbally. Um, they had all these riches. They went from being slaves with nothing to freed people with everything and abundance. And, and what we find is that abundant provision still requires a lot of work. And it's cool because in our study tonight, we get to see sort of the culmination of that work. We get to see, we get to see it come together in, in its finality, really, and, and, and what God does in that. Um, why is there so much that's repeated in the book of Exodus? G- essentially, 25% of the book is just repeated things. Why is so much repeated in the book of Exodus? God wanted us to hear it twice. I'm going to say that's a sufficient answer, and we're going to move on. Um, Who's allowed to come before God without a sacrifice? Who? 
Nobody, yes, that's right. Unless you're sinless, you don't come before God without a sacrifice. And where did the materials for the tabernacle come from? Sword already gave you that answer. God gave it to them out of Egypt. Yeah, they, they left, plundered them verbally, and so the gold of the tabernacle is the gold that used to belong to Egyptians. It's pretty neat and sort of a justice in that. It's like, that's right. We built it with that gold. Um, who, who's going to build the tabernacle and how? Yeah, the skilled laborers God provided. And how, how did he, how did they get their skills? Huh? From God, how? Particularly. Yes. Yeah, he, he gave them a spirit of artistry or a spirit that enabled them to do sewing or, or, or woodworking or, or metal overlaying or all these different things that, that, that were needed. And so um, the tabernacle would be built by people who were gifted by God to do that. And, and, and the gifting came from the work of his spirit that he would give to them so that they would be reflecting as, as creators, they would be reflecting the image of their creator God. And so uh, let's dive right into Exodus chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange it. You shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps, and you shall put the golden altar of incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall put up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Now, I hope as I'm reading that, you're thinking, Jesus, Jesus, sacrifice, uh, propitiation. Um, you're not forgiven and cleansed without the blood of the innocent. Um, sweet aroma that has to do with Jesus. I'm hoping as you hear those tabernacle dynamics, you're thinking Jesus. So if you're not, Think Jesus when, when I'm reading through these, because every single one of them reflects something about Christ. Um, question, what's significant about the order that, that God communicates about how it's going to be built? Is there any, anything that sticks out? Like, where do we start? Yeah, first day of the month, and why, why, would, why would that be significant? Yeah? And, and what do they start with? What part of it are they starting with? Yeah. And then where do they work from there? Out. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, my mind would say, start with the less important stuff and, and end with the wham, boom, awesomeness of the, the ark and the, the holy of holies. And, and um, I think there's something significant here. Um, it may be a stretch, but if it's a stretch, it'll be one we can all enjoy in faith. But I enjoy here how the dwelling place of God is constructed because its construction is a reflection of our relationship with him because it starts with him. I think there is a reflection of our relationship with God in the construction of the tabernacle and that it starts with him. Um, you don't start with the temple courts and then work your way toward God. You start with God and you move accordingly. And so even the way that it's put up sort of goes against the propensity that a lot of us can fall into of this works-based 
I got to get my stuff together and I got to get my life in order and get things right and slowly I'll move towards God. When the reality is, if we have a relationship with God, it's because that's where it starts. It's because he's come to us, he is, he is, he's drawn us to Christ, he's given us the spirit, and then we move accordingly. Look at verses 9 through 15. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you have anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So after the construction of the tabernacle, we have an anointing that is to take place. Um, does any, can y'all think about what oil represents sort of throughout the scriptures when you think about oil and what, what it could be indicative of? Blessing? Holy Spirit, yeah, those, those two, those... Those are the exact two answers I was looking for, and I thank you for making it so easy there. Uh, blessing in the Holy Spirit. Uh, when you see oil throughout the scriptures, you see um, th this link, these connotations there, that um, oil is indicative of the blessings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you may think of the oil of gladness, and note to yourself that gladness itself is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, so here, um, Calvin states, God would have all the vessels of the sanctuary set apart by the sacred anointing from common use in order that the Israelites might distinguish between things sacred and profane, and thus that God's service might receive its due reverence so that none should intrude the pollutions of the flesh into that place, the purity of which had been signalized by that sacred symbol. And one of the things we do with Ella is reading comprehension. Or I try to get her to repeat, what the heck does that mean? And try to explain it to me. What, what does that mean that I just read? Distinguishing between the sacred and profane, thus God's service might receive its due reverence. What's another way of saying that? Okay. What, how would y'all define anointing? What, what does it mean to be anointed? Chosen, okay. What are some other words that come to mind when y'all think of anointed? Blessed, what else? Set apart. What about consecrated? What does that mean? Make holy, okay. So this is a, a distinguished, it's different, and... Um, we have to climb into this and just ask the obvious question, what are some ways that we are anointed and consecrated and distinguished? Because according to 1 Peter, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart. How? I mean, I really want us to, to consider that because I think every one of us could give like 10 answers like, oh, this, 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 this. But I mean, let's talk about it for a minute. How are we set apart? How are we consecrated, holy, anointed? How, how is it that... An, in our lives, others who are watching could see blessing and, and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
just day to day, what are, what are some examples? Security's not in our job? Yeah. Well, that was subtle. No, no complaining and grumbling. What else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's that look like? How does that play out, overcoming the world day to day? Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah. When you don't, I've found, even in my own home sometimes, when you don't repay evil for evil, it freaks people out. It's just they don't even know what to do with it. It's like, wow, you, wait, you, you should have hit him back. You, you should have hit harder. You, sh- you should have, you know, made, you know, taken, taken the upper hand there. And uh, and yeah, that that's a significant one. That that's that's I, I enjoy doing that in the car, where if someone gets upset with me, I just, just wave real big like a big dumb idiot. <laughs> I enjoy that because I would never provoke anyone driving. What else? Day to day stuff. Set apart, anointed, consecrated, distinguished. $15 of big lots is a lot of stuff. <laughs> we were there last night. I mean, that's that's a card full almost right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Some of this might seem obvious, but like this whole point in people being drawn out of slavery and freed is that they would be distinguished. There would be a difference and the, the difference would be God in their lives. And so I wanted to spend a few minutes kind of talking about what everyone's sitting here probably thinking, is it not obvious we're supposed to pray? We're supposed to be patient. We don't, we don't run people off the road. We don't steal. I mean, yes, there, it is supposed to be different. And, and I want us to consider that because it's sort of a very, very big message in, in Exodus. Um, turn over to 2 Corinthians. I want to look at just a couple of particulars as far as distinguished and... and uh, Reverence, things, the difference between things sacred and things profane. Second um, Corinthians uh, chapter two. I'm going to look at verse uh, just twenty-one and twenty-two. 
Second Corinthians two. Hmm. Maybe it's First Corinthians. Hmm. Why don't you turn over to 1 John? Let's do that. 1 John chapter 2. It's really weird. When I was typing these notes today, I thought, it'd be a bummer if I put the wrong scripture. I thought that as I was typing it, and I guess it was because I did. 1 John 2, 18. Please, please be there. Please be there. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a 1 John 2, 18, and we're going to read it together. Uh, it says, um, we'll read just a few verses. Children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, um, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Um, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all of us, that, that all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So what's the distinction of anointing in that verse particularly? We have knowledge. And why is that significant? Yeah. Yeah. Um, If we don't understand God, uh, we can't do according to his will. And and the reality is, is, as I prayed right before we started tonight, is we could come to studies like this and go to a hundred of them and leave completely unchanged if not for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so one of, the, one of the effects of anointing is knowledge. And so if you're growing in your understanding of God, make sure you thank God for that. If you're growing in your understanding of spiritual dynamics in your home, thank God for that. If you're growing in your understanding of spiritual dynamics in your marriage and an understanding of God's will and how a man serves a woman and, and loves his, his family and sets an example for them and how Christ um, acts towards the church, if you are understanding that more and you desire more of that, if you're desiring more knowledge, make sure you're thanking God for that because it's his anointing that causes that. We don't just muster that. I, I, when I first started at Crosspoint, I had a freedom to study the Word more than I ever have. And I just thought, man, this is awesome. But I got into a little season where I just thought, man, I, I could read anything. And I'll just, I could, I could know a lot. I mean, I got a lot of time to study. This is great. And I, and I had to remember real quickly, and I was reminded by the work of the Holy Spirit that and you can study all you want, but th- there's no true knowledge unless it's, it's through the anointing that happens by God's giving you His Spirit as a seal and a guarantee as one of his children. So there's real encouragement there. Turn back to Exodus 40. Here we see some really necessary repetition, as we have in the previous five chapters. Um, And before I read this, I I, I want us to remember um, how all of the artistry was to be accomplished. We've already said it, but, but how? How is the artistry and the detail of the tabernacle that has gone into it and it, goes, and it comes together, how is that accomplished? Just to make sure we're real clear as I read this. God gave them what? The Spirit. Okay. You see, there's a theme. There's a theme here. Theme. Don't miss the theme. Now I'm going to read and y'all think through that. Uh, verse uh, 16. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Now, I want y'all to realize as I'm reading this, this is a big deal. We just spent weeks and weeks and weeks looking at the preparations that went into the tabernacle. 
And now it's coming together. If anyone's ever built a house, I mean, you spend forever picking out details. When it starts coming together, there's an excitement there. When we built this rectangle, we, we, we wanted to make sure it was the exact rectangle we wanted, and there was excitement when the rectangle became true rectangular form as you see it today. And so here we're seeing, I mean, there are so many details about Jesus that were communicated by God to Moses as he was on the top of Mount Sinai, and he would tell that to the people, and there's this anticipation. And I want us to feel that anticipation as I read these verses, because it's coming together. The tabernacle that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks, months, is being built. So it says, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases, set up its frames, put in its poles, and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up, on, and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with, Moses, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. So Moses finished the work. The obvious question uh, that you all know I'm going to ask, what's repeated in these verses? As the Lord had commanded Moses. So what was really the important detail in all the work was that it was done as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, um, necessary repetition. At this point, I want to spend a moment celebrating obedience. It's good when we see this come together. The tabernacle has been built by Israelites who have been encouraged and blessed and anointed by God. So for a moment, I mean, I really wanted, like I, I thought about having lights, some streamers, some, like maybe a cake or something, because I want us to celebrate together and look at this and say, wow, the tabernacle has come together, finished the work. It's, it's, it's a remarkable thing, and, and it's good to celebrate obedience and marvel really at the work of the Holy Spirit, because without the Spirit, none of that would have happened. This is, um, what we're seeing here is what it means to be doers of the word and not hearers only. If they were hearers only, nothing would have gotten built. No work would have actually been done. So what we're seeing here is what it really means to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And this is why we stress so much the importance of listening closely. One of the patterns and one of the truths that we see in scripture, uh, Jesus said, think over what I say and I'll give you understanding. So what that tells us is that when we hear, if there's something worth listening to, it's worth thinking about. If it's worth listening to, it's worth thinking about because Jesus says, think over what I say and I'll give you understanding. So if it's not worth thinking about, don't listen to it. But if you're hearing God, listen closely. That's why we encourage you, listen closely. When we listen close, we hear specifically 
that which God desires from his children. This is the case in every area of our lives. And this is a good time to be reminded that it's not good to part, um, compartmentalizing our lives is spiritually unhealthy. I'm not naturally inclined to be good enough at some things while needing God's help with other things. Here, it's good to be reminded that I need him for everything. There was no point in the building of the tabernacle when Moses said, that was 18 cu- uh, cubits. What is it? Is this a cubit? Who cares? All he cares is that it's there. There's no point where anyone building the tabernacle took any liberty with any of God's commands. It was exact. They needed God for every single detail. Now, um, I need him for everything. So we must listen closely when it comes to all that God has to say about being married, about being a parent, um, about our work, our finances, uh, our friendships. There's really no area where we're called to just wing it. If there's any area where you're winging it, just label it unfaithful. I mean, that sounds really harsh, but I've stepped headlong into that stupidity plenty of times. Just, oh, I'm going to wing it. I, I got this. I don't got anything. No one's got anything. We need God for every single part of every facet of our lives. If you're just winging it, just chalk it up to unfaithfulness, repent, and ask him to give you guidance in that particular area because we need God for absolutely everything. There's really no area where we're called to wing it ever. Um, And that's not faith. Sometimes people try to define faith as just winging it and hoping that God sees you through. No, generally he'll give us some guidance in how we're to move. And we don't just stumble in it like idiots. We must do exactly as the Israelites have modeled and stick to all that the Lord has commanded. So in these verses that I just read, there was a shift in the people who were mentioned. Did anybody pick up on the shift? What shift do we observe there? It all went back to Moses. I mean, in these previous chapters, we see Bezalel, we see Aholiab, we see, what was it, uh, Ithamar, wasn't that his name? Um, We see a number of different people doing work, and then they have people working under them, and they're putting together all this um, intricate, um, significantly detailed, beautiful artistry for the sake of the tabernacle that reflects the glory of Jesus here in the Old Testament. And there's a shift here to where it goes to, it says Moses erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. There's a certain amount of honor in this, right? There's a certain amount of honor that must have gone with this. I think about the Thanksgiving turkey uh, that's often being carved by the head of the household who did not cook anything. There's sort of a certain honor there. G- generally, when my family gathers, we may have like... Um, Everybody except dad cooks something, and the, and, but he may end up being the one sitting there carving the turkey. There's sort of an, an honor that goes with that. And here, I think there's an honor that goes with what Moses was doing. So uh, I, my question is, um, what is significant about Moses building the tabernacle and finishing the work? And I think our answer is beautifully in God's timing. is found in Hebrews 3. Turn over to Hebrews 3, where we were this last Sunday. A.W. Pink says that um, Hebrews 3 is our present application of Exodus 40. He says Hebrews 3 is our present application of Exodus 40. And I thought, thanks, A.W. Pink, that's handy because we're in Hebrews 3 and Exodus 40. So I'm kind of liking the way that lined up. But if you turn over to Hebrews 3, 
we'll just read verses 1 through 6, which is where we've been for the last 18 months. And it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him to appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So you see an honor of the one who builds the house above and beyond the house itself. And God's dwelling now is with his people. So make these connections between the Wednesday and Sunday studies. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So hearing that set of verses in conjunction with Exodus 40, I would ask how? What is, what is AWP talking about? How is Hebrews 3 our present application of Exodus 40? Hebrews 3 is our present application of Exodus 40. And how is the question I'm posing to you? It all comes back to Jesus, okay? That's very significant. What else? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty significant, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond poetic. That's, that's remarkable. The timing of all of this and how it comes together. What are some other details there that, that we might consider? Our current application of Exodus 40 is Hebrews 3. Holding fast. Yes. What else? Like, we can take everything that the Israelites have learned in the building of the tabernacle and apply it to the Hebrews 3 application we have today. So what are some things that they learned in the building of the tabernacle that we could use in our Hebrews 3 application today? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. That's huge. Because glory is about the fall on the tabernacle in Exodus 40. And that's really reassuring. So absolutely, the glory of the Lord, his presence is with us. What else? Yeah. Yeah, so the house of God can say God has given us everything we need to do what he calls us to. He doesn't call us and then like hamstring us and be like, ha ha, you failed. That's not how our God works. He gives us what we need when we need it to do what he's called us to. What else? Faithfulness. Yeah. You can, it's not always walking by sight. I generally would prefer to walk by sight as much as possible. Generally. I want to know how I'm going to pay this bill at this time. I want to know the perfect health of my family at this time and this time. I want to know uh, as far ahead of time as possible what the hurdles are going to be for the upcoming week. I love walking by sight. Uh, we're called to walk by faith. And so faith is, is not, it's not a negotiable in this circumstance. What else? Yeah, it's a long process. 
I love that we just were forced to spend tons of time looking at the building of the tabernacle. Because what does that tell us about us being built as a house for God, his dwelling place? It takes time. If we know that it takes time, what is that going to cause in us? Steadfastness, patience, faithfulness. How is it going to cause us to act toward each other? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good summary. Um, when Brad preached through that Ephesians 4 passage, he talked about how we're not called to create unity, but we preserve it because it's a gift we have in Christ. And I think if we apply what we're seeing here, one of the ways that we preserve it is seeing that it is a process. It takes time. So we won't look at people and say, why haven't you arrived yet, loser? Because we know we're all in process together and we'll be patient with each other and we'll love each other and we'll be compassionate towards each other as God was compassionate towards his children. Um, in the setting up of the tabernacle, we're being prepared to revere Christ, who is not just a servant like Moses, but a son faithful over God's house. And as we see the perseverance of the Israelites, we're reminded of our encouragement to hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Again, if you have not heard the sermon from this past Sunday, there were a lot of people traveling. We're a younger church, so we generally have more families traveling when it's a holiday weekend because you're going to see your family. That's cool, but I still have to urge you, if you haven't heard Sunday's sermon, listen to it. It's, it's the text, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, particularly verse 6. Um, go online and listen to that, for there's much encouragement there in assurance and perseverance. Um, so we see an application that we have today uh, that we have been readied to hear in our preparation to get to the point of Exodus 40. Now look at verses 34 through 38 in Exodus 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a huge connection. Service is, is a huge part of the house. It's not just go through motions, but it is, is particularly serving. Um, 34 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is a big moment. Like, when we just read it, we just kind of read it. But I want, I mean, imagine being an Israelite. Imagine looking back on the last few months and how things have gone. Imagine that most of the people were recently enslaved in Egypt and, and feeling pretty hopeless. They've seen the plagues. They're moving out here. They've been preparing. There's been a, a, a skill that has been given to many uh, and, and a spirit. And they've done this work and they've seen all these little pieces. It's sort of like seeing a bunch of Lego pieces laying around and not knowing what it's going to look like when it's all put together. But there's an excitement when it comes together. And here it's coming together. And after it comes together, the finished the work Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Why is that encouraging? (laughs) Exactly. He's right there. That's the best answer we could have got. He's right there. The glory of the Lord has filled the tabernacle that they have obediently listened to all that the Lord has commanded and done. 
This is a sweet moment. It says, uh, the Lord filled the tabernacle. Uh, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Here we see this is a more significant cloud than what was on the top of Mount Sinai because Moses could walk up through that as sort of like the guy in the duster, you know, everyone else is behind and he's, whoosh, he's going up. Well, here, Moses couldn't even go in because the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. You see guidance. You see distinct. Um, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. There's some sweet affirmation in these verses. As they watched the cloud descend upon the tabernacle, they could look back on what they heard from the Lord and look back on the work they had done, and now they know that it was indeed not in vain. For the presence of the Lord was with them. There are times that you need to stop down in the ministry. The, the churches are the ones who are being equipped for a work of ministry. And there are times where we need to stop down in that work of ministry and just really revel and enjoy the glory of the Lord as we see it being worked out in people, in his children. And there's a confidence in that. And there's an encouragement in that. A lot of times um, we can have a tendency to just kind of focus on what's wrong and trying to get our stuff right. And um, as a staff, one of the things that we do every time, uh, we have a staff meeting every Tuesday at 10 o'clock, unless I have to change it for some reason, um, we sit down and we immediately go to Philippians and we think on what's good and, and recountable and worthy and noble. And because I want every staff meeting to start by, by saying, Let, let's look at the glory of God and his people for a moment. Let's look at how so-and-so served in this capacity, or this person let so-and-so borrow their car, or this person did a great job teaching the third graders, or whatever. Because there's a lot to enjoy, and we get to see the glory of God in that, because it's people doing as the Lord has commanded. Um, the presence of the Lord was with them. His glory was overwhelming, and again, God was guiding them and making them distinct by his presence. Without his presence, there is no distinction, and there is no guidance. Matyer notes that uh, the Lord's dwelling was a tent, for the Lord came close, identifying himself with his people's circumstances and taking up residence at the heart of their nomadic life. So what we see from that is that there's encouragement in a God who draws near and is not aloof in regard to your circumstances. Our circumstances differ. There's some people in this room who are doing just fine. There's some people in this room who are struggling greatly. God knows our circumstances and he draws near to us in that. Um, Hebrews 14, or Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. It's so encouraging to know that in your time of need, you're not just winging it. You're not just trying to figure things out on your own, but you have a God who is not only present, but he is so full of compassion that he has made it so that in his son, he can identify with every weakness you have ever struggled with. Does anyone in here struggle with weakness? I, I struggle with the scripture that says, boast in your weakness. I'm like, I hate my weakness. I want to I put, my, put my weakness to death like I put sin to death. But weakness is inevitable. This is a temporary life here. And, and our, our eternal dwelling um, is not yet what it will be. And so 
when I see this, I'm encouraged to know that um, in my weakness, he sympathizes. God, the creator of all things created, King of kings, Lord of lords, sympathizes and he provides for us. And it, and it goes on in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. It's, God reminds us that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If you're looking for endurance, look to the Lord. Don't, don't, don't look at the circumstances. Know that the Lord's looking at the circumstances, and he gives us what we, what we need to be able to endure uh, whatever the circumstances. And he does so not just in a here-you-go-loser sort of way. He does so in a compassionate way. He's a God who, who loves us immensely. Um, there's some real encouragement in serving a present God who's full of compassion. I was looking back on my notes from our first study in Exodus on March 23rd, 2011. And at the very beginning of this study, we established that it was all about Jesus. And I think if we look back on the study itself and the content of it, we've seen a lot of Jesus in Exodus. I mean, the facets of the priesthood, the facets of the tabernacle, we've really gotten the, the thrill and the enjoyment of, of just sort of savoring Jesus and treasuring him in, in, in Exodus. Um, rather than being quickened, one of the things we established up front is, is that they had some bad circumstances, and a lot of times we can approach Exodus like, well, their circumstances stink, and my circumstances stink, so let's hope with the Israelites that God will deliver us from our circumstances. That's, that's an approach we can sometimes take. And we established in that very first study that rather than being quickened to eagerly anticipate our freedom from tough circumstances, our hope was that the study of Exodus would cause us to eagerly anticipate our final freedom from the bondage of sin. Not just un, undesirable circumstances, but the bondage of sin. When we talk about deliverance and we talk about perseverance, we're talking about a God who is, who is looking out for our eternity, our eternal dwelling, um, that which he has set forth for us. When, when time, the created thing, melts back into eternity, that, that's what we're talking about here. And so rather than just circumstances, our hope when we started this study was that it would cause us to eagerly anticipate our final freedom from the bondage of sin and that we would truly look forward to the day where we no longer struggle with sin, and we're able to worship Jesus wholeheartedly, basking in the presence of his glory as the Israelites are doing here as his glory descends on the tabernacle in the cloud. In closing, I want to read an excerpt from, uh, that I actually read in the first study. Um, it was a good introduction to the book of Exodus, and I hope um, it can be a good conclusion as well. The deliverance of Israel from Egypt furnishes a remarkably full an accurate typification of our redemption by Christ. The details of this uh, we've gotten to see in, in the study. Uh, Israel in Egypt illustrates the place we were before divine grace saved us. Egypt symbolizes the world according to the course of which we all walked in time past, as we read in Ephesians. Pharaoh, who knew not the Lord, who defied him, who was the inveterate enemy of God's people, but who at the end was overthrown by God, shadows forth the great adversary, the devil. The cruel bondage of the enslaved Hebrews pictures the tyrannical dominion of sin over its captives. The groaning of the Israelites under their burden speaks of the painful exercises of conscience and heart when convicted of our lost condition. The deliverer raised up by God in the person of Moses points to the greater deliverer, even our Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover night tells of the security of the believer beneath the sheltering blood of God's lamb. 
The exodus from Egypt announces our deliverance from the yoke of bondage and our judicial separation from the world. The crossing of the Red Sea depicts our union with Christ and his death and resurrection. Think of the watery ordeal that you've heard men talk about. The journey through the wilderness, its trials and testings with God's provision to meet every need represent the experiences of our pilgrim course. The giving of the law to Israel teaches us the obedient submission which we owe to our new master. The tabernacle, with its beautiful fittings and furnishings, shows us the varied excellencies and glories of Christ. Thus, it will be found that almost everything in the book of Exodus of the, in the Bible has a spiritual message and an application to us who are following Christ today. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for our time in Exodus. It's kind of surreal finishing it up tonight. And uh, as I look back on the last 21 months of studying it, I'm really filled with thanks. I'm thinking about the different trials that people in this room have gone through over the course of the last two years. I'm thinking about the ups and downs, the uncertainty, the fear, the joy, the rejoicing in triumph, and how we've been informed by how you have moved with your people throughout time. We've been encouraged at the compassion uh, that our God shows us. And uh, we've been quickened to remain steadfast, uh, knowing that the call in the life of the believer is to persevere to the end. Lord, we love you immensely. You are great. You are greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. We thank you for our time tonight. We pray that by the work of the Spirit, we can go and walk in these truths and to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.